Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Over a year ago, we started a series called The Good News. It was a study in the book of Mark. And I didn't know how long it would take, but we worked our way through the whole book of Mark. We finished that series last week. And for the record, it took 42 sermons to get through Mark. We took a couple like side trails to explore some other stuff along the way. So 42 sermons in the book of Mark last year. And so I thought, you know, in this Sunday between finishing that series and starting our next series on the 2nd of January, we might look back and ask the question that we started with over a year ago, which is what is the good news of Jesus Christ. You may remember that Mark starts his gospel by saying this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. And so let's just ask that question. So what is the good news about Jesus Christ? And I'm gonna try to summarize it today and give you a resource that you might use to study this with somebody else. Here's the thing about summaries of the gospel. If you, if you Google what's the gospel, you're gonna get a thousand different summaries and all of them are a little bit different and mine's different than all of those. But the thing about the gospel is and the reason they're always different is that it's layered. It's, um, there's different dimensions to the gospel. So one dimension is the gospel announcement. So that's the story about Jesus Christ that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there's also the gospel story, the bigger story, which is, goes all the way back to Genesis. It starts with creation of the world by God, the fall of humanity and sin and God's effort to redeem and restore us through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel story. But then you also have the gospel community. So it's like, what did this story about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to the people who believed in it? And what does it mean to us now? What are, what are we doing to and for the world because of this story? And so some people have talked about the gospel as a three-legged stool. And um, this one's got four legs, but um, some people have thought about it like that, okay? That you, you kind of have to have all those pieces to have something to um, sit on reliably. And so to, the starting next year on January 2nd, we're going to go to Genesis and I'm going to begin to kind of chart the bigger gospel story that Jesus is part of. And then after Genesis, we're going to go into Acts and we're going to talk about what it means to be a gospel community. So that's what we're doing in 2022. So bring a friend. We're, going to, we're just going to spend the next year in the gospel and the bigger uh, story of the gospel. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. And I, I am going to sit down on this stool for a second. This morning is going to feel a little bit differently. It's going to be more like a Sunday school class than a sermon because I want to equip you. And here's what I want to challenge you. I told you not to make any New Year's resolutions till you and I talk today. What I want to challenge you now that you've listened to 42 amazing life-changing sermons on the Gospel of Mark, <laughs> that you would study Mark, the good news of Jesus, according to Mark, that you would study that with somebody this year. You would pick somebody in your life and ask them if they'd be willing to study the book of Mark with you this year. And that you might make it one of your resolutions. You know, you're gonna go to the gym more and you're gonna give better gifts but you're also gonna share the good news with somebody this year. And so what I wanna do is equip you to do that using a summary. And what you can do with this summary is any passage that you read out of Mark, you can run it through this filter or this summary and say, is this making this point? 
Is this passage making this point? And this summary will help frame what you're reading with somebody else, okay? You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a scholar to study this with somebody. You just need Mark, okay? You need the good news of Jesus. And a a resource like this, a summary is helpful. So I went back through 42 sermons, and I summarized them all in a sentence. And there's nothing more humbling than summarizing a year of your life's work in a sentence. And this is basically what I think Mark is saying the gospel is. So this is the gospel according to Mark, according to Eric. This is it. Jesus is Christ, our King. He is from God, of God, and for us. He sees, he provides, he forgives, and he frees. Jesus is Christ, our King. Now, what I want to do this morning, this is why you've got that note card there in front of you, is I'm going to go through and I'm going to point out some important passages for you to hit if you're studying this with somebody. I just want you to write those down. Again, there's, there's cards in the back and there's pens back there if you need to grab one. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Jesus is Christ our King. This is a resource for you and it's about the size that you can slip it in the inside of your Bible. It's a resource for you. So let's write these things down. Jesus is Christ our King. This is actually how Mark starts the good news of Jesus. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ. Now remember, Christ, we talked about this, is not the last name of Jesus. To say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of promises that God has made to his people since the time of creation and promises we find in the word of God, which is scripture. To say that Jesus is the Christ is a statement about who he is, and about the faithfulness of God. The Christ, what that means is the savior or the anointed one. And I'm thinking about passages that go all the way back to Genesis three after the fall and God's hints or promises that he will redeem. I'm thinking about Genesis 12, the promises that God makes to Abraham that through him he'll bless not only his descendants, but all nations. I'm thinking about promises that he makes to other patriarchs along those lines, especially to King David in 2 Samuel 7. And that is that there will be an anointed one who will bless all nations. That's the promise. And so to say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that our hope is in a God who keeps his promises and we can find those promises in scripture. What makes Christianity different from other religions is that Jesus is not a flash in the pan who comes out of nowhere, that he is anticipated from time immemorial and that he is the fulfillment of all those promises God makes in scripture. That's what gives us hope. So that's what we mean when we say that Jesus is the Christ. One of the central moments in the gospel of Mark comes in Mark 8, Mark 8, 29, where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says what? You are the Christ. So recognizing this is one of the most important things for anybody to do in their life. In Mark 3, Jesus says that the failure to recognize that Jesus is the Christ is the one sin that won't be forgiven. This is the thing that you cannot miss, that Jesus is Christ. Now what Christ literally means is anointed one. Now who gets anointed? The king. The king gets anointed. And so we have this thing in America where we kind of recoil when somebody talks about a king. You know, we talked about this in one of our sermons, you know, that America gets its start because we don't like having a king, okay? And so we kind of recoil at that. And a bad king is a bad thing, but what scripture tells us is that no king is not better. 
Um, the book of Judges, the very last book, the uh, very last verse in Judges ends like this. In, there's, in those days, there was no king and people did as they saw fit. And the message is, that's a disaster. When everybody does as they see fit and there's no king, it's a disaster. We need a king. So to say that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, is to say that he is king over all, which is a statement about his authority. Um, 2 Samuel 7, you might write this down. God promises David, the original and good king, okay, that out of his line would come the Christ, an anointed one who would always sit on the throne. But what David said about Jesus, according to Jesus in Mark 12, is that David himself calls this king Lord. David himself calls me Lord is what he's saying. And this, it's from this that we get the idea that Jesus is the king of kings. So he has an authority that is not like any other earthly king. And we see this, like if you look in Mark 1, 21 through Mark 2, 12, you have healing story after healing story. So Jesus cast out demons. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He heals the sick of their diseases, like a leper that he heals instantly just by, by touching him. And the, and the point is that like this guy has authority, but he has an authority that far surpasses any other human king. You know, other human kings tell people what to do. Jesus tells sicknesses what to do. Like we're gonna see, he tells weather what to do. He's a king unlike any other. And so the whole gospel is moving towards this point in Mark 15 where Pilate and others ask Jesus, this is Mark 15 too, Pilate says, are you the king? And Mark's setting us up to say what? Yeah, <laughs> yes, this guy is the king. And we're supposed to know the answer to that. Yes, Jesus is Christ our king. And then, and then you gotta ask that question, but, but where does this anointing or where does this power and authority come from? And that come, brings us to our, the next line. He is from God, of God, and for us. So as you're studying the book of Mark with somebody this year, and you come to a passage you don't understand, you ask yourself first, is this trying to make the point that Jesus is Christ our King? No, okay. Then is it trying to make this point, that he is from God, of God, and for us? Because the second thing we're told in Mark 1.1 is that this is the beginning of, of the good news of Jesus Christ, who? God's Son. And so let me, let me make the point that it's really easy to skim over that. As Christians, we're really familiar with that language, that Jesus is Son of God. But let, let me just pause here and and point out what he's saying. He's saying that there is a God, a creator of the universe, the most sovereign power over all things, and that that God has come to earth in the form of Jesus, his son. And what this means is you cannot just like or dislike Jesus. You can't just say like, yeah, he was a good teacher. He taught some good things. And if everybody did what Jesus said, the world would be a better place because Jesus is from God. And so either because he's from God and of God, you have to resist him or worship him. It's one of the two. Okay. That's what that means when we say that Jesus is from God and of God. And so God speaks from this beyond, this transcendent heaven in Mark 1, verse 11, he tears open heaven. He looks down on Jesus. He says, you're my son whom I love and you I am well pleased. We talked about this a few weeks ago that maybe the deepest longing of the human heart is to experience transcendence. 
And what we mean by that is we all have this question when we look around us in our lives, is this all there is? Like my daily interactions, going to work, interacting with people, doing this and doing that. And we all have this haunting feeling that isn't there more to life. And maybe the person that you're gonna study with this year, the person that you have on your mind right now, maybe that's what they're thinking. Like, is this all there is or is there more? Well, to say that Jesus is sent by God, from God, and is of God is to say yes. And that what we have in Jesus are the deepest longings of the human heart fulfilled, the transcendent God with us. What Mark tells us in Mark 8, 38 is that Jesus is sent to bring the Father's glory into this world with us. Okay. Uh, Here's what's amazing is that from the beginning, even the demons, even the enemies of Jesus recognize that he's the son of God. I'm thinking about verses like Mark 3, 11. And then it culminates in Mark 15 with the centurion, this man who was against Jesus, we're told, looking up at Jesus as he dies on the cross and saying, surely this man was the son of God. But here's the thing. How many of you read like Greek and Roman mythology back in eighth grade or something like that? Okay. People have been trying to make sense of the divine for a long time. And one of the things that separates Christianity from other religions is that in most other world religions, we humans are just playthings of the gods or slaves of the gods. So the gods are antagonistic to us or they don't really care about us. But what's fascinating about Jesus is that Jesus comes from God, of God, but for us. Like if you look at Mark 1, 9 through 15, the first thing that Jesus does is walk out into a river to be baptized among a bunch of sinful people, even though he has no sin. Does he need this? No. He comes from the beginning showing us that he's in solidarity. He is with the people he's come for. And so, you know, at Christmas, we celebrate God with us, and that's right to celebrate in Jesus Christ. It's not just God with us, it's God for us, on our behalf. What Jesus says in Mark 10 is that he knows he's come from God to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. He comes from God for us. Now, how does Jesus do that? That brings us to the next line. He sees and he provides. There's this thing going on with sight in the gospel of Mark. I'm thinking about Mark 8:22, where the blind man is healed and we're told he can see everything clearly because of his interaction with Jesus. I tell you what, if there's something this world needs right now, it's to see everything clearly. And so as you're thinking about somebody you might study with, think about their need to see this world clearly. But it's not just us that see better because of Jesus. There's this fascinating dimension to which Jesus sees us in the gospel, according to Mark. I'm thinking about Mark 6, 48, where Jesus sends his disciples out onto the Sea of Galilee and their storm has come up, it's night, it's pitch dark. And we're told that Jesus is up on a mountain, he's miles away. And yet we're told that he saw his disciples struggling, Mark 6, 48, he saw them from miles away. And then he comes to him and he calms the waters and he climbs into the boat with them because he sees that's what they need. I'm thinking about the story of Bartimaeus. This is in Mark 10. Bartimaeus was a man who was blind. He had a special need. Nobody pays attention to Bartimaeus. Everyone overlooks him. And yet Jesus in the middle of a crowd, in the middle of a commotion, sees Bartimaeus, stops what he's doing, calls Bartimaeus to him and heals him. Think about that. He sees us. 
Now, somebody that you might study the, the good news of Jesus with this year, I mean, think about how significant that would be to tell them the son of God, most high, sees what's going on in your life. Now, it's one thing if, if he can just see it, but if he can't do anything about it, it's not much of a consolation. It's like when my kids come to me because they've skinned their knee or something, they want me to kiss it. And if I kiss it right now when they're like two, they think that makes it better, but there's gonna come this point at which they realize that's not doing squat, you know, okay? So what good would it be to have somebody who sees our need if he can't actually address what our need is? But one of the recurring themes in Mark is that he has this miraculous ability to provide for our needs. I'm thinking about Mark 6, 30 through 44, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. I'm thinking about Mark 8, 1 through 9, where he turns around and he feeds 4,000 people without any fish this time, just a few loaves of bread. You know, the point is that Jesus not only sees our needs, but he has the power to provide more than we need. Okay. He has the power to give us more than we need if we'll go to him. You know, the good news is not only that Jesus sees you and sees your need, but he can provide for it. Okay, let's go on to the next line. He forgives and he frees. So you're studying through Mark and you're reading this passage with your friend and you're running it through this grid. Is this saying that Jesus is Christ our King? Is this saying that he's from God, of God, and for us? Is this saying that he sees and provides? Or is it saying this, that he forgives and he frees? Jesus does have this supernatural ability to see and provide, but maybe most importantly, Jesus sees two things clearly that you and I really struggle to see. Jesus comes to a world that's broken. He comes to humans that are broken. And he knows that the break, the problem, is not only external, but it's internal. This is one of the most important passages in Mark, Mark 7, 21. He says it's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. And then in the verses following that, he lists one terrible thing that humans do to each other, one after another. And if you look at all the problems of the world and you look back at this list, you'll see, yep, this pretty much summarizes it, okay? It's from the inside that all the problems we deal with in the world come. What's he talking about? Mark calls it sin. Sin is this thing I have inside me that keeps me from honoring God and causes me to destroy, to destroy every good thing around me. And if that's the case, what I need is somebody who comes in and treats what's wrong with me, forgives my sins. Uh, I saw this sign hanging in a doctor's office. Um, uh, what is it? Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Have you ever seen that? Description without diagnosis is malpractice. What the good news of Jesus is telling us is that he's the good doctor who diagnoses the actual problem, the problem of sin in the human heart. And if that's the real problem, I don't just need medicine, I need forgiveness. I need somebody to come in and treat it. And we see as early as Mark 2, 13 and 17 that Jesus comes forgiving his sin. Mark 2, verse five, your sins are forgiven. Jesus also sees that while we have this internal problem, we have an external problem too. We have an enemy. As early as Mark chapter one, Jesus comes casting out demons. We read in Mark 1:27, he even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. And then in one of my favorite passages in Mark, this is Mark 3, 23 to 30, we're told that Jesus comes to the world, to the home of a strong man, and he's come to tie him up and rob his house. He's talking about Satan. 
that Jesus comes to tie up our enemy and free us from his grasp. I heard it said recently that ignoring the spiritual enemy that we have is like playing a football game and pretending there's not another team on the field and you can't figure out why you keep fumbling the ball and ending up on your back with a headache. What Jesus comes to do is to address what we don't often see, that the problem's in here and that the problem is an enemy we need to be freed from. All right, let me come to this last line. It's the line we started with, but the emphasis is a little bit different. And if you're on, if you're on your card here, I want you to circle the word is. Jesus is Christ and the word our. Jesus is Christ, our King. Because at the end of Mark's gospel, this is Mark 15, 39, the centurion says, the man who was against God, he looks at Jesus and he says, surely this man was the son of God. And that word was there has got to be one of the most hopeless words ever uttered. What did we just do? You know, the man who comes as Christ and King from God, of God, for us, seeing our needs, providing for us, forgiving us and freeing us, we just killed him. And so there's no more of that. And so you come to Mark 16. When a couple women come to the tomb, and instead of finding the dead body of Jesus there, they find probably an angel. And the angel tells us he's not here, he is risen. He is risen. And what that means is that Jesus is still Christ, our King. And his power and ability to see and provide and forgive and free what I need forgiven and freed in my life, his ability to do that remains. He is still Christ. And so what I say when I am baptized into the waters behind me or what you said when you were baptized or what someone might say who studies with you this year when they're baptized, they'll be asked, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? That means, do you believe that Jesus is the king of your life? And they'll say, yes, he is my king. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And when I say that, I join the hour. I join this this community of people since the time of Peter and the centurion who have recognized that this guy is different. And then if I give my life to him, if I submit to his authority as king over my life, it will be good for me. And I join that community and that's the community you're sitting in this morning. I'm part of a long community of people who've recognized This is the king. So would you share that with somebody this year? You think you could? Would you pray about who you might share that with this year? Jesus is Christ, our king. He is from God, of God, for us. He sees, he provides, he forgives, and he frees. Jesus is Christ, our king. I want to pray over you as you're dismissed. Let me do that now. God, I thank you for your body, the church. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that he was the fulfillment to promises made long ago, that he is a king with an authority unlike any other. He's the king of kings. God, I'm thankful that you sent him. I'm thankful that he came for us. I'm thankful that he sees what every person in this room needs. He sees what every person watching online needs, that he's capable of providing what they need and more. 
Mostly, God, I'm thankful that by his death on the cross, he has forgiven us of our sin and freed us from the clutches of the evil one. God, we rejoice that he has risen and that your son Jesus is still Christ and our king. I pray, God, that you would empower us, as you said in Mark 9, to listen to him, to obey him with our whole lives. And I pray, God, for each person in this room that there's somebody in their life right now that they're thinking about who doesn't know this, who's far from your son, Jesus. Would you give us the courage? Would you give them the courage to share this good news with them this year? And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.